Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you take my ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. It is just a fantastic book. I told y'all last week, uh, I, I, I caught myself feeling the way I always feel when one of my sons asked me, because we go to a lot of movies, and when they ask me, what's, what's the favorite movie? What's your favorite movie, Dad, that we've seen? I almost always say, um... The last one we saw, because it's fresh in my mind, and I think it's great. And I find myself doing that with these books of the month. I'm like, what is my favorite book? Well, my favorite book has always been Philippians um, for, for decades, but now I just find it being whatever book we're reading right now. Because for sure, right now, today, my favorite book in the Bible is, is the book of Luke. And I hope you're reading it. It is unique. It is exceptional. Uh, and it is the Word of God. We're going to look at one verse before I pray this morning. In Luke chapter 6, verse 35, the Bible says, and this is Jesus talking, Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as the children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Are You Kind to the Wicked? Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your mercy, God. I thank you for allowing us to be in this place. God, I thank you right now for every person who's come out, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would touch every heart in this place, God. Save the lost, recover the backslider, encourage your children, God. I ask you to teach us now from your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So this past week, uh, countries around the world celebrated Valentine's Day. Now, I love facts, stats, data. I love research. I love charts and graphs. Um, I, I, I love the, the, to know the numbers on stuff. And the Internet has made Valentine's Day not so easy to research because there's no definitive answer, but there's somewhere between 26 and 30 countries in the world that celebrate Valentine's Day, which worldwide is a small number when there's over 200 countries in the world, but I don't think anybody puts the dog on for Valentine's Day. The way, that's country, by the way. That means it goes all out. Uh, I don't think anybody puts the dog on for Valentine's Day the way America does. Uh, let, let, me, let me just say, one, one of the first things, uh, my youngest son, Seth, who's in the room, one of the first funny things he ever said, and he, he wore this phrase out forever. It didn't matter. Any concept going on, any business, any, 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 anything that looked like somebody was piecing it together uh, was three words. You know what the three words are, Dina? It's a scam! Dad, can't you see? It's a scam! It's a scam! Some new family joined. It's a scam. They scamming a son? It's a scam. Some new restaurant. It's a scam. They just want our money. Uh, 
Yeah, so somebody run for political. It's a scam. Everything was a scam. Let me say, everything's not a scam, but I'll tell you what is a scam. Valentine's Day. Could you imagine? Here's the thing. If they made hamburger meat, which is one of the most bought things in, rest, in grocery stores around the world, because you can't make hamburger helper without it, Unless you put tuna in your hamburger helper, but then it's what? Um, But if they, every Monday, if they just decided, we're just going to arbitrarily, for no good reason, quadruple the price of a pound of ground beef. Americans aren't that dumb. You would think they would just buy it on Tuesday. If every Monday, I don't even know, what's a pound of meat cost? Three, four dollars. What if on Monday it was sixteen dollars? But on Sunday it was four dollars, and on Tuesday it was four dollars. You wouldn't buy it on Monday. Because you're not ignorant altogether. Then why in the world, because it's Valentine it's February 14th, why in the world would anybody pay four times for flowers what they were worth the day before and the day after? Isn't that right? Man, get your flowers a week late. Get your flowers a month early. You save all kinds. I want my flowers on Valentine's Day. Okay. Get a rich husband. Because flowers are ridiculous. Restaurants, oh, my. Uh, But it's commercialized. It's heavy. But it's supposed to be about celebrating love. It's supposed to be um, some way connected to a half-naked baby with a bow and arrow, I don't know, uh, you know, whatever it means to you. It's huge in this country for candy makers, for card companies, and for restaurants. And we, we need to uh, make sure that when it comes to how we approach different days, that we keep God at the center at all times. Amen? You have an opportunity tonight to come to one of the best meals you'll ever eat. And what, what definitely, this fellowship to hall tonight will be the most prayed for, anointed restaurant that you've ever been in in the history. You, you can't get this level of anointing from, from a worldly restaurant. And so I, I hope that you'll come. But people have been talking about love and Valentine's Day, leading up to it, past it, um, I saw a meme, uh, it, w- it was about um, Valentine's Day candy. And this guy w- had gone into this store, and he was hiding all the candy. And, and uh, you know how they stack those trash cans up? He was hiding candy in the bottom trash can and stacking the trash cans on top of it. And he was like, wait till three days after Valentine's Day. I'm going to be back for that. off. I mean, smart. They probably don't want you doing that. But love has been in the air. People have been talking about love. And I want you to understand, love is a very complex word in the English language. Not not in regard to its origin, not in regard to its etymology, not in regard to the actual structure of the word, but the way we as Americans use the word. Think about it. 
uh, I just wrote some things down for me. Uh, there is no doubt, no doubt, I love Dr. Pepper. Anybody, the first question I asked about this. See, because I don't, I don't even want to win this basket because it's got two Cokes in it. If it had two Dr. Peppers in it, I'd just have to make executive authority right now. Hey, our bylaws say uh, against my final decision, there is no recourse. If I just decide, I, you know, the Lord said, I had, now I don't want it, but when you win that, run if you see me coming, because I'm coming for that box of Whoppers. <laughs> but I love Dr. Pepper. I love pizza. Oh, my gosh. E e even bad pizza. I like even, people say, oh, that pizza's no good to you. <laughs> you, you, you. People, people just trash on Pizza Hut like Pizza Hut hadn't sold. She trashes on it. Uh, shame on you, Mrs. Douglas. People trash on Pizza Hut like Pizza Hut hadn't sold more pizza than anybody on. I don't care if it's Pizza Hut, Chuck E. Cheese. How many of y'all remember Godfather's Pizza on Blanding near 103rd? Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you what Godfather's did for all you non-Westsiders. Are you transplants? Godfather's right off 103rd in Blaine, uh, at the very far right end of, of the strip mall, so it's further from the corner than everything else. But they would like, they'd make a regular pizza with all the toppings on it, whatever you want it. Because it's like, it's got, okay, so it's bread, it's got tomato sauce, uh, it, it's, it's got cheese, then it's got toppings on side it, right, on top of it. But then they went next level. They covered the whole thing in cheese again, put it in the oven, and baked it to a brown. I'm talking about this is this is like the this is the difference between boxed macaroni and cheese and oven baked macaroni and cheese. Are you following me? What 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 Godfather's did to pizza was next level. But I don't care if it's Godfather's. I don't care if it's five star. I don't care if who whoever it is. I'm down for the cause. Some of y'all pizza snobs, y'all like mm, not me. Um, uh, listen, you really want to get some non-chain pizza? If you're in Orange Park, go to Vito's. Vito's knocks it out. They're, they're so sure of it, they've got a sign on their door that said, voted best pizza in North Florida. Uh, and, it, and it is off the chain. Uh, and if you don't feel like going up into Orange Park, go, go to Lane Avenue near San Juan and get pizza from Uncle Charlie's because they do it right too. Yes. So... And I know Elaine knows about good eating because I see I see her. I don't see most of y'all out at restaurants, but I know I I know she make you spend a little bit of money in a restaurant from time to time. Um, the best, um, but we talk about the things we love, and I, and I do. I love pizza. I but I love the Atlanta Braves more than I love pizza. See, I could do fried chicken. If you took pizza out of the planet, as long if you said pizza or or the Atlanta Braves have to go, pizza can go. I, you know, as long as I got fried chicken. Hot wings. You know, I can make do. Pigs in a blanket. I can, I can make, I'm done there. That's the only food I need. Uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I love Atlanta Braves. Now, so I, there's this escalation. I love my sons more than the Atlanta Braves. Most days. <laughs> All the time. Um. But then, so there's all these things we say we love. We love our music. We love our favorite pair of whatever. But then there's Jesus. And when you say, I love Jesus, 
I hope that takes that word to a different level in your mind. I hope you love Jesus more than you love holidays. I hope you love Jesus more than you love food. I hope you love Jesus more than you love people. So this is where the complexity of that word comes in. But in, in our text, the Lord opens up with these three words, love your enemies. And most of us have an issue with that. Most of us find that challenging. Anybody besides me? I mean, they spit in your face, and you're like, thank you so much for spitting in my face. Nothing smells better and tastes better than your breath and spit all in my face. Um, and I just, no, that's not our normal reaction. Um, I, I, I want us, though, to understand that as believers, we no longer have the authority over our lives to do what we want to do. And this is why uh, being in the military was so great for me uh, to understand structure and and to to make sure that I know how to operate inside a kingdom. And because the military is set up with hierarchy much like the Bible is. And in the military, they tell you right out of the gate, you don't have any civil rights because you're not a civilian. There's nobody to complain to. There, there's, 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 no, there's no office to go to, and they say, Sergeant Major yelled at me. If you were to go to some EEO place, some HR place in the military and talk to some civilian boss and say, my, 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 my platoon sergeant screamed at me, uh, that would go poorly for you. They, they strip you of everything. They strip you of your identity. That's why they take your hair and they take your clothes. People have uh, connected their identity to how they look. But some people, even in the military, they don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it that, that it, that's, you know, that's this man's base. That's this man's army. He's in charge. He's the boss. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full. Even when I disagree, uh, I'm going to get on with the plan. Well, when we come to the body of Christ, we've got people that want to do it their way. And you've heard me talk about the Adams family and the, and, the, and the song from that movie said they do what they want to do, say what they want to say, dance how they want to dance, play how they want to play. And that very much describes the average Christian in America in 2023. We want to call ourselves Christian as long as that's just words and we still get to do everything our way, the way we like doing it and the way it feels comfortable to us. Now, when you join the Army, I can't speak to the other branches, uh, the, these ever-expanding branches. You should be Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, but then the Coast Guard chimed up and said, hey, don't forget about us. We're the fifth branch. True. Uh, and they provide a vital service. Uh, but now there's a sixth branch, Space Force. I'm like, okay, let's just focus on the Army. Let's stay with the big dog. When you go in the Army and they tell you this is how you shoulder your rifle, not one human being in the entire chain of command is interested in how you feel like it should be shouldered. Nobody, when they tell you this is how you zero your weapon, not no one in that chain of command wants to hear about how you and, and grandpa did it back on the 40 acres out back shooting deer. No, they want you to do it their way. And you go to work at a job. You're expected to do your job the way the boss tells you to do. 
Why do Christians feel like they'll line up and do what the boss man says? Boss man says, be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. Most people show up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Boss man says, you got to work till 5. Most people work till 5. Boss man says, get up there uh, and, and handle these five things. You, yes, sir. And you just hop to it and skip to it, whether you agree with it, whether you like it, whether you don't like it. You just do it because someone in charge told you to do it. Well, how many of y'all would agree that God is more in charge than your boss? We got to learn. We got to learn that it's not important how we want to do things. It, 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 it's not important how we feel like. See, we, we've come into this lying culture, and it, there's always been lies in culture, but now because everybody has a smartphone, because, you know, everybody's watching YouTube videos, because everybody's reporting on everything at one time, we get to hear more people's opinion. And listen, opinions are just noise. My opinion is not relevant unless it agrees with what God says. And the same way for everyone else. But we've got this lie that's pervasive in America today. Well, I'm living my truth. Uh, Don, Don Lemon just got in trouble for speaking his, he called it his truth, but then he got in trouble and had to go on an apology tour because uh, there, there's, there's a woman who declared that she wants to run for president and she's 50 years old, and he said she's past her prime. Her day for doing anything awesome has gone by. Yikes. Anybody know a woman that's 50 or older? You, you really think you want to say that to a woman that's 50 or older? That's already a politician with a big platform that can bury you? Needless to say, Don got the day off the next day. Which, you know, in, in, in typical Don fashion, you know, because he's rich and he don't care. Him, him, him and his white husband just flew to Miami and were frolicking in the ocean together uh, while the Twittersphere were just blowing up about how could he say. And he was like, I was just sharing my truth. No, you weren't sharing your truth. You were sharing your opinion. You were sharing your perspective. You were sharing your thoughts because here is the reality, and if you don't get anything today, get this. No one but God owns truth. There's no my truth. The Bible says that, that, uh, that Scripture is of no private interpretation. It can't mean one thing to you and a different thing to somebody else. It means what it means across the board, and it will never change. That's why, and we got a, we got a church, uh, some, some of the people that put it together uh, actually used to be here. They, they got disgruntled. They went up the street uh, and started their own gig. Um, and they literally sit around in circles and read a verse, and the guy who's supposed to be in charge asks people, what do they think about that, that verse? If I went to the dentist because my tooth was hurting, and he took an x-ray of it, and he showed me the x-ray of my tooth, and he said, well, Scott, what do you think? I think my mouth hurts. Did you go to college for this? Have you done this before? I mean, do you get paid for this? Is this your, are you good at it? What do I think? I think you need, I don't know. I see a, a black piece of paper with, with some crooked white teeth in there and some spots on. What do, what do you think? Asking people what they think about the Bible is not relevant. See, everybody wants to believe that their opinion is just as important as anyone else's opinion, and we all need to be open-minded and let everyone live out their own truth. That's the biggest pile of hogwash in the world. 
The Bible is not some inclusive, everybody gets to decide what they like and what they don't like about it. It's take it or leave it. It, it, it says what it says, and we need to learn how to do things God's way. Say God's way. Uh, as, as Christians, we need to know and understand what God has to say about love, and, and, and we need to learn how to do it in a way that honors him. If I tell my son to take out the trash on, uh, what, Thursday night? Because uh, trash comes on Friday. If I say, make sure you take the trash out, and I don't even have to tell him anymore at this age. I mean, he's grown. He, he knows that that's part of what he, he has to do. But if I was to say, take the trash out, and he went in his bedroom and got one to-go bag off his counter and walked it out to the big trash can and took it out, and I asked him an hour later, hey, son, did you take that trash out? Absolutely, yes, sir, I did. I took the trash out. Now, did he take trash out? He did. Did he do it the way I wanted it to be done? He did not. Does he get any credit for taking that one bag of trash out? No. Is he in trouble because he didn't do what I said? We got to learn how God's way is more important than our way. Can five people say amen? So we need to learn what God thinks about a situation, and we need to learn how to do things the way God wants to do things. This is not difficult. This is not undoable. This actually should be the, the way you operate in relationship with everybody. Um, if if Marlowe wants to keep Elaine happy, he needs to know what needs to be done to make her happy. If, if he thinks, well, she ought to be happy with any old thing, I, uh, it don't work that way. It does not work that way. You, you got to give. If you want to love somebody right and you want to give them something, give them something that they want. And God wants total obedience. And he shares that with us throughout his word. So this area of love, we still have to be obedient with the way we love people. And this is really where the rubber meets the road, y'all. And we're going to talk. Uh, we're just going to look at some of these verses and uh, phrase by phrase and try to learn some things this morning. In our opening verse, Luke 6, 35, Jesus says these three words, love your enemies, exclamation point. Tell you, pay attention to the punctuation. That is, that's screaming, that's urgency, that's big time, that's pay attention, I'm saying something important. Love your enemies. Now, that, that does not set anybody on a hallelujah praise chant. That doesn't get anybody to want to run around the building five times and give all their money to the Lord's church. That is like, ah. Even the, even the bad ones? Can't I just hate them? No. Jesus said, love your enemies. And I'm not talking about like you love broccoli, which I don't. Um, and I'm not talking about that, that four-year-old praying uh, who says, God bless all the babies and all the mommies and bless everyone because I love everyone. Amen. All right, once you pass four, you don't love anybody, everybody anymore. That dude, Will Rogers, said he never met a man he didn't like. He didn't live in Jacksonville. Duval. He didn't live in Duval. Because he had ran into some people he didn't like in Duval. Or Clay, Pontevedra, Charlotte, Charleston, Minneapolis, Grand Rapids. Birmingham, Philly, every, Chicago, all that. Uh, 
Well, basically, he's a liar, okay? Let's just, <laughs> let's just put the hay down where the ghost can get it. This dude made a lot of money in American pop culture, uh, and, but he, he, he didn't like everybody he met, and we don't either. But we have a command from God, and you're going to have to make a decision at some point in your life. And this is really only if you want to be blessed. If you want to be next level blessed, if you want to have a real abundant life, the name of our church, if you want to transition from normal living to abundant living, if you want to go from just having natural stuff to having supernatural stuff, the Bible says you're blessed in your doing. And Jesus said to love your enemies. Now, that word love is the Greek word agapeo, and it, it loosely means to dearly love, to be well-pleased with, to be content with something. Uh, now, when I think about my enemies, if I force myself to love them, I'm not well-pleased with them. If I force myself to be kind with them, I'm not content with who they are. So how do I make this leap? How do I make this jump? God's not going to command us to do something we can't do, but he will command us to do things that only he can do through us. So I have to yield my emotions to people that I don't like because, listen, I'm not Will Rogers. You understand what I'm saying? There's people I don't like. Now, I mean, anybody other than me, anybody, I just, I just don't like them. Some people are just hard to like. I've told the staff and, and Christians for decades, uh, if everybody was kind, decent, and wonderful, it'd be easy to love people. But God hadn't called us just to love the easy people to love. God's called us to love the easy people to love. He's called us to love the hard people to love. He's even called us to love the wicked and to love our enemies. He said to agapeo, to dearly love them, to, to be well-pleased with them. How in the world can I be well-pleased with my enemy, when I realize that God is sovereign, you need to study the sovereignty of God. What it basically means is that God is large and in charge. He makes all decisions by himself. He takes counsel from no one else, and he's in control of every leaf that hits the ground. He's in control of the direction the wind blows. He's in control of all your days. He's in control of everything that happens in your life. And if you are foundationally grounded on this one doctrine of the sovereignty of God, then you have the possibility to become everything that God wants you to be because when I look at it through the sovereignty of God, I realize even the enemies God uses for his purpose. Even wicked and evil people that mean me harm, God uses them to uh, make all things good in my life. Um, so, some people came along uh, as a blessing. Some people came along as a testing. And, 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 and the test is there for your testimony. So the, the people that help you, they make you better. But when you realize through the eyes of God in his kingdom, haters make you better too. That, 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 that's why, you know, people that like rhyming preachers uh, love to hear somebody say, let your haters be your what? Motivators. When you start letting your haters be your motivators, when you start realizing that they're just, a, they're just a cog in a wheel. They're just a part of something that God has put in your life to, to help shape you and mold you. Listen, I, I, I have been, I have found myself more dependent on God in times of great opposition than I have in times of great ease. So everything and everybody has a purpose in your life. How can I love my enemies? Because I know God is using them for his purpose in my life.
and I want what God wants for me. Now, does that mean I have to endure some difficulty? Yes, it does, because God is a good parent. God, you know, here's what a good parent looks like. A good parent teaches their child how to ride a bike. They take the training wheels off, and they hold the seat momentarily. But what does a good parent eventually do with that? They let that go. Now, if you're close enough to them and you still like them and you see they're about to fall, you might reach out and study it, steady it. But if they're halfway down the road and they fall, guess what? Yeah. Get back up. Oh, my leg, my leg, my leg. Oh, how I wish Kiko was in the room. <laughs> Kiko was the most dramatic little girl in the history of our church. Highest pitched screamer in the history of our church. Uh, we, we were all out one night after church at a restaurant, and Kiko wanted to show how fast she could run. And she had on flip-flops, and she stubbed her toe. Little scuffed the skin, tiny discoloration of redness on the end of her tongue. She screamed. She, she yelled for, I'm dying. I'm dying. It's bleeding. It's bleeding. It's bleeding. And she just went on and on and on and on and on. A good parent doesn't take that child to the hospital at that point. They don't run to the store and buy some, some uh, now, it'd be, it, they, they might. Buy some rubbing alcohol. Let's pour some alcohol on it. See how it fits. They let that child fall down and learn from it. How many of y'all know enemies are part of the plan too? Wicked people are part of the plan too. And we have to love our enemies. Not easy, but doable. Say doable. Then the next four words. I tell you all the time, pay attention to the punctuation. I love these small phrases, bite-sized pieces, so I can get it down in my spirit and digest it. He didn't just stop with love them. He said, do good to them. Oh, now, 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 now you've really stepped in it. Because love can be ideology. I love everybody. There, there are people in this room that out of their mouth, inside a church, would say, oh, Pastor, I just love everybody. And I'm thinking, liar. Um, but you might do a better job loving everybody than I do. That, that's outstanding. But love can, can be hidden uh, as words. Where the rubber meets the road is the next phrase where he says, do good to them. I love them, but I stay away from them. Well, that's probably smart. There's some people you need to stay away from. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I'll be a father to you and you'll be my children. Um, but when you have opportunity... And the Bible tells us in many places, when you have opportunity, you should do good things for everybody. Well, I ain't, I'm not going to make their life any easier. If you have opportunity, I'm not saying you've got to put down what God has called you to do right now and go rush to it. But when you have opportunity, it goes on to say, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. <laughs> I laugh when I read that. Uh, so somebody tell me what's funny about that third sentence, lend to them. Who is them? Okay. What, what's funny about lending to your enemies without expecting to be repaid? They're not going to repay you. <laughs> that, if, you don't, if you don't do it this way, you're setting yourself up for discipline. Go ahead, and loan, go ahead and loan $100 to somebody that hates your guts. Well, you better be walking in verse 35. You'd be like, I know they ain't going to pay me back, but I'm just trying to be a good person. It says then. When is then? Then is always after. 
then after you've loved them, after you've done good to them, after you've given to them whatever you can without expecting payment, then your reward from heaven will be very great. Do you know most people wouldn't change their behavior on this planet for the reward that heaven has for them? They're too stuck in their own ways like, mm, I'd rather be broken miserable than help that person one bit. You, that, that's, what, that's what we call in the country cutting off your nose to spite your face. You, you, you'd rather your own life be miserable before trying to help somebody out, and that is anti-Christian behavior. There's a reward promised when we do what God tells us to do. And he goes on to say, and, which means there's more, you will truly be acting as children of the Most High God, comma. So you've got to stop and pause on that. I've told you before, every father wants his sons to look like him. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It's not, it's not rooted in pride. It's not rooted in arrogancy. It's rooted in the only sure way a man can know. See, a woman knows that's her child. You, you, you know who you gave birth to. No question about it. Now all you can do is hope that it was yours. So, I mean. And this is going on for thousands of years. The woman has no doubt that she's the mother. But the father's thinking, mm, I don't know. My mother's brother, her, young, her uh, youngest brother, uh, was my favorite uncle. Um, we, could, we called him Uncle Lawrence, but, you know, that, that, that's, too, that's too simple for in the country. What, 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 what did y'all call him growing up? Hillbilly boy? Huh? Terrible Lawrence? See, everybody in the country's got a nickname. Um, but he was, he was hilarious, and he was big and strong and, and funny, um, and just an impressive human being. And I remember when he had his daughter. He had his daughter. And, and what do most people say when, when, when somebody that's supposed to be your friend or acquaintance, they come to the hospital, they see your child. What, what's the first thing most people say, whether it's true or not? Oh, you're, it's beautiful. Your baby's so gorgeous. And they messed around and told my Uncle Lawrence that his daughter was beautiful and she looked just like him. Y'all remember what happened at that point? He went on the longest cussing tirade in the history of human beings. He called that person everything but a child. He said, that's the ugly. That ain't even my child. Ain't nothing looked like that could have came out of me. This woman has cheated on me. They know. And he was just out there. Go back where she came from. Now, now according to Dina, and, and Dina and I have laughed about this story, but, but that, that, that little girl went on to become what? Very attractive. But he wasn't buying it. He didn't even think it was his because he was convinced he was pretty. And that child was hideous. So the, only, the reason a man wants the child to look like it, it's our only way to know that it's really ours. Now, you know, you know in, the, in the last few decades, they've come up with, you know, DNA testing. I don't know if that's legit. Maury Povich, Jerry Springer. All that, those people don't even know each other before that show. 
Medical documentation has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt you are not the father. <laughs> Wouldn't it be easy if you could just look at them and know? Some of that is divine, though. God wants his children to look like him. It glorifies the father. It adds weight to his case that he is the father when we look like him. When we, when we don't look like him in our actions, then we, we should expect to hear what the Lord said to so many people. Why do you even call me Lord if you don't do the things that I say? God expects his children to do what he tells them to do. And he says that when you love your enemies and when you do good to them and when you give stuff to them expecting nothing in return, then you are truly looking like God's children. Why? Look at the last verse, four. When you read the word four, in literature. Not always, but most times you can increase your comprehension by replacing that word for with a different, more common word that brings greater clarity to the phrase. Uh, anybody know what that word is? Because. So try that when you're reading. Uh, if it makes sense, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But when we do what God has called us to do, we're acting like God's children. We're glorifying him. We look like him when we do that. Because he, God, is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Oh, man. Anybody know God will call you to do some hard things? How many of y'all just really feel like being nice to unthankful people? I mean, we've come up with phrases to dismiss these people out of existence. Don't, don't, don't mistake my, my meekness for what? For weakness. Don't, don't, don't think because I hadn't knocked your head off, I can't. I'm just trying to hold back. We, we've got all these concepts. Why? Because it's difficult to love unthankful people. But then God takes it to a different level even still. Not just unthankful people, but wicked people. Now, if I were to ask you before this setup, before I gave any context at all, does God want us to love wicked people? Some people would be like, mm, I don't know. King David went around killing them. Can, can I help you with this? I'm going to say it how I feel it. You ain't King David. That was, that was, his, that, that was a unique mission for him. That's, that's, that's not for us. What's for us is what Jesus is telling us right here. But it is difficult. Say difficult. God is kind to unthankful and wicked people. If God is kind to unthankful and wicked people, and he is because the Bible says he is, what do you think God wants you to be to unthankful and wicked people? Oh, that's tough. But it's not impossible. It's hard in your strength, but it's easy if you let God do it through you. See, it's hard in the natural for us to love someone that we're not pleased with. Uh, so we need to change our concept of what love is, how we love, who we choose to love, and adopt a more biblical form of loving people. Because God commands us to do what he tells us to do, not what comes easy for us. In verse 36, he went on to say, you must be compassionate, comma. You must be, com now you don't need to be able to speak Greek, 
You don't need to be a theologian to understand uh, these first four words. You must be compassionate. Does that sound optional? That's a command. Now, let me ask you this. When we're dealing with unthankful and evil, wicked people, is it easy to be compassionate toward them? We got people in the body of Christ talking about other people in the body of Christ saying, I can't wait till she get what she got coming. Uh, if you want to know what compassion is, flip that upside down. There's compassion. Because that's the, that's the opposite of, well, I just, I just hope he they, everybody finds out how evil he is and, and he gets what. Getting what you have coming uh, is not a compassionate mindset. God, Jesus said you must be compassionate. You ought to. You ought to write that down somewhere. You ought, to, you ought to keep that in the front of your mind. And you ought to take the word you out and replace it with the word I and just tell yourself all day long, I must be compassionate. I must be compassionate. I think this is hardest on preachers, teachers, cops, correctional officers, and people in the healthcare business. Yeah? And, and, I, and I say this about everybody who ever entered into one of these fields, and there are exceptions. But when you talk about that specific group of people I just, ta- I just talked about, I believe that the vast majority of people go into police work, correction work, pastor work, health care work, uh, school teaching work. I believe most of them go into it with a good heart because they want to help. They have compassion. They want to be a difference maker. They, they want to give their life to something that will help society at large. But that fades off. And sometimes quick. You take the most compassionate person you ever met uh, that didn't grow up in Jacksonville, Florida. You take somebody from, from Midwest somewhere. Uh, you take somebody from Deacon Scott's uh, back, 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 uh, backyard hometown uh, up in the Steamboat Rock, Iowa area, population, you know, six. Never been around people different than them. Never been around people that weren't invited to, to their uh, family reunion. Um, everybody, see, in small towns where everybody looks the same, acts the same, talks the same, eats the same food, goes to the same church and pulls for the same team, not a lot to argue about. But you start expanding that, and you get around people that look different than you, think different than you, act different than you. Take one of those Midwesterners from a, from a town with less than 300 people in it and put them as a school teacher at Westside High School. <laughs> Culture shock. Ain't going to work. Uh, you think they'd be in for it? You got kids going there. You think, you think they'd love and appreciate that? They'd quit in the first hour. <laughs> in, in, in less than an hour. I told my kids, because one, one time my kids, when they were younger, they were saying, well, Dad, you can't, you can't pastor forever. If you ever retire, what do you, th- what do you think you'll do? I, I don't know. Well, what's on your bucket list? Nothing. I don't have a bucket list, never have. I've already done everything I want to do in life. I'm, uh, the, the thing I'm ready for is transition. I'm ready to go to heaven. But I thought, I don't know. I love to teach. Maybe because when I was going through my master's program at Liberty University, uh, I substitute taught. But this was back, you know, in the 90s, the early 2000s. And this was at a Christian school. 
And I told my kids, I might substitute. They both leaned. Please don't. I don't even know if you remember what you told me next. Seth told me. Seth, Seth's the voice of logic and reason. Jake's a people pleaser. Seth's the voice of logic and reason. Seth will tell you how IS is. And Seth said, Jake's like, please don't. Seth's like, Dad, you will go to jail on the first day. You remember that? He, I said, we may not. He said, you don't know these kids, Dad. He said, the way they, they throw stuff at, at, at substitutes. And he knows, you throw something at me if I ain't in my right mind, catch me on an off day, uh, Jesus might not ooze out of me. <laughs> you must be compassionate. Now, if that was talking about being compassionate to sweet old ladies who are at the end of their life and they just want you to hold their hand and pray with them, that's easy. If you're talking about be compassionate to the nicest person that you really love and you care about your favorite human being, that's easy. But the context is not for nice people. The context is for unthankful and wicked people. Be compassionate to them. Everything in the mind of a natural person screams. They get what they got coming to them. They, they get what they got coming to them. How, how was the game, Lisa? Your team lost. Okay. Now, Lisa is a friendly, big, smiling person. And um, the, the, the project that she's a spokeswoman for, Wounded Warrior Project, uh, had, had some work for her to do at the Super Bowl, so they let her go to the Super Bowl. They only were going to give her one ticket later in the game. They found a second ticket. She didn't have the Holy Spirit active in her life at that point, so she invited Stacy Edmund instead of the pastor. I want you to know I still love you, and I'm full of compassion for you. Now, in church, fresh off her fly eagles fly. Oh, she was flying last week. She was, she was, oh, she was in it. Uh, Philly gear on. Um, in church today, though, she's all smiles, and it was great. It was wonderful. Even though they lost, it was still great. How many of y'all know if there would have been... Um, a, a, a fan behind her bashing on the Eagles the whole game. Just, there go Patrick Mahomes. Look, look, look at uh, the Eagles are losing. The, uh, she's shaking her. She, blood pressure's getting up. Neck starting to sweat right behind that left ear. How many of y'all know that that compassion can be tested at a sporting event when you get somebody by? I saw the worst beat down in my life in 1995. The Braves were playing uh, the Dodgers, and we had to beat them to get into the a playoffs. And we actually went on that year to win the World Series. And I was, I was at the, the final three-game set of that series that year was in Atlanta against the Dodgers, and we had to win to get in. And, I mean, it was – beat L.A. chants and a variety of other vulgar chants going on through the whole game. But there was this one dude sitting in the middle of a sea of Atlanta Braves in Fulton County, Atlanta, Georgia, with a Los Angeles Dodger. And every time something good would happen for their team or bad would happen to our team, he would stand up, pop his jersey, mouth all, cuss everybody out. Uh, compassion carried him through that first inning. This is on God. 
Guess what happened in the second inning? They carried him out. He turned around, put his finger in a brave face, took the, and that dude and the three people sitting close to that dude just started wailing on this brother. And they carried him out bleeding. Um, it's hard to be compassionate to people who need on you. It's hard to be compassionate to people who push your buttons. It's hard to be compassionate to just hateful, wicked, ungrateful, just miserable human beings. But does that difficulty get you a hall pass that you don't have to do it? No, we have to do it. And here's the reality. We need to get on with the getting on. It's better to do it now than try to resist doing it now and have to be punished for doing it wrong. The Bible says whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines. And he tells us we must be compassionate. Now, I can promise you this. That, that, that Hispanic brother wearing that Dodger gear in, in Fulton County Stadium, mm, there was no compassion for him after the, in the second inning. They, they were beating on this guy like, like they did not love him. And so many times, whether we throw punches or not, our compassion goes out the window when people are being difficult with us. But I came to tell you today, stop letting difficulty stop you from doing what God called you to do. Sometimes it's difficult to come to church. Anybody could come up with a reason not to come to church. I, I, I've, I've had people tell me, well, I felt like I might have a headache coming on, so I stayed home today. <laughs> well, I felt like I might have a heart attack coming on, but I came anyway. I mean, what, we, we could always, well, you know, I, I think my back might not be perfect today. I, listen, there's always a reason to choose wrong. But I want you to make a decision today to choose right. I want you to make a decision today to choose to be the man, the woman that God created you to be. And Jesus said you must be compassionate. Do a study on that. For some people, that comes super easy. My sister might be the most compassionate woman on the planet. She is easily the, the biggest people pleaser, peacemaker, uh, confrontation adverse human being that I've ever known. Compassion comes easier to her than it comes for some of y'all. And maybe me. But it doesn't matter how hard it is or easy it is. We're all called to the same standard. See, the, 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 the fallacy is looking at other people who fail thinking that gives you a hall pass. It doesn't matter what the preacher does or doesn't do. It doesn't matter what your spouse does or doesn't do. It doesn't matter what the people around you who claim to love God do or don't do. You've still got a relationship with God on your own, and you've still got a God to glorify for yourself. He said, you must be compassionate. And then he adds just gas on it, just as your father is compassionate. Now, do you think that's a little compassion or a lot? Do you, think I, do you think that's our typical? Yeah, I'm going to let that slide once because I'm saved, but don't try me again, son. <laughs> that's not how God is compassionate. Everlasting is how God operates. Um, his, his, his compassion as his mercy endures forever. That word compassion means kind-hearted, considerate, full of mercy. Now, we should treat everyone like this. But remember, the context is talking about our enemies, people who are unthankful, and people who are wicked. This is, a, this, is a, this is the trifecta of who we do not want to be compassionate towards. 
That, that word in the Greek means kind-hearted, considerate, and full of mercy. Now, mercy, loosely defined, is you not getting what you deserve. You not getting the punishment that you justly deserve. Now, if you're going to be compassionate toward people, you can't have that, I can't wait till they get what they got coming. You got to be full of mercy for them. And, and you got to keep in mind, you reap what you sow. You got to keep in mind that what you put out there is coming back to you. In verse 37, Jesus said, do not judge others, come. That's a stopping point. That's something to stop and consider. Now, you know, you got a handful of people that want to try to pull out three Bible verses that they can twist to make that out like Jesus is a liar and that they're allowed to judge people. But Jesus said, do not judge others. No, no degree required to understand that. He said, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Now, this verse is literal, but it has some metaphorical connotation to it in regard to when he says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Listen and be sure of this. Every human being that ever lived will be judged by God. So what's he talking about? You will not be judged. Because if you're lost, you're going to be judged at the great white throne judgment when God shows you why you're going to hell forever. If you're saved, you're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ where you receive rewards for the things that you've done in this lifetime or you suffer loss. But it's not that you won't ever be judged, but that the way you judge is going to be how you get judged. The way you condemn other people is going to be the way it comes back on you. The way you forgive other people is going to be the way it comes back on you. Don't judge others. Don't condemn others. Forgive everyone. That's a lot. That's a lot in this. Don't judge. Don't condemn. And forgive everyone. That's a lot to do. But how many of y'all know God said he can do anything? All things are possible through God. There's some people out there, you might feel like, I could never really forgive them, Pastor. You don't know what they did to me. And, and I don't. Uh, but the God who wrote this book, he knows. He knows exactly what they did. And every one of us needs to get to the place. I, I've told you all about this woman before. Uh, it, it just blew me away. I don't, rem- I don't know if y'all followed it closely. Um, some white woman, law enforcement something, broke into the wrong home and, and shot and killed a black man that was innocent. And she shouldn't have shot and killed, made big news. Uh, she's standing trial for the rest of her life. The mother and the young brother of the man that was killed um, both tried to speak comforting words to that woman on, on the stand. This woman just killed that, that, that other woman's son and that man's brother. The, the man asked the judge, anybody, any of y'all remember what the man asked the judge if he could do when, when this woman who was about to go to jail forever was crying on a witness stand? Any of y'all remember what the young man asked if he could do? Asked the judge, can I give her a hug? Now, you know, the average Christian going to misquote mis, some Bible verses at that point. The average Christian thinking in their mind, well, the devil is a lie. Give her a hug. I got a gun. Oh, I shoot her. Killed my, bro- killed my brother. Listen, I'm going to tell you all what. I ain't all the way there. You killed my sister. There's no hug coming for you. Um, pray for me that I'll get to that. But I thought, wow, this, is, this isn't just church 
This isn't just words. These are deep, godly, Holy Spirit-filled, compassionate, enemy-loving, forgiving, evil people. Why aren't we all that way? Shouldn't we be that way? If you ever get to the place where you realize that it, it wasn't everyone else, but it was your sin that cost Jesus his life on the cross. It was because of the sin that you did that Jesus was separated from the Father, was tortured, beaten, stripped naked, and hung on a cross and died for your sin. If you ever get to the place where you realize that God has forgiven you of everything that you've done to him, it ought to come a little bit easier for you to forgive people that have done you wrong. These things are a must. Say must. Don't judge others. Don't condemn others. Forgive everyone. I told you, we, we reap what we sow. But some people, I'm telling you, some people will tell you straight out, I'm a Christian and it's my job to judge. The Bible say a spiritual man judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Okay, well, you found that verse. But what you going to do with the verse where Jesus said, don't judge anyone? Mm. Be careful how, how, how you move inside this kingdom. Later in this very same chapter, um, in Luke 6, 41, Jesus said, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Could you imagine going, going to a doctor, an eye doctor, who had Coke bottle lenses this thick and was, was, was reading your chart like this? And then he said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this little machine. It's got a laser on it. I'm going to point it right in your eye. I'm going to cut a flap un, un, under your eye. I'm going to lift that flap. Uh, no, you ain't. <laughs> mm, ain't no Coke bottle half-blind dude putting a laser in my eye socket. Not today or any other day. Uh, why? Because he don't have his own stuff together. Why well, I don't trust skinny cooks. Some skinny person tell me they know how to cook. They can't cook. T -t tell them, John the Baptist. Fat people know how to cook because they taste their own food. Man, you give me a four-foot-nine Italian woman with a mustache, she at about 300 pounds, she can cook. Or at least she knows how to make sauce. Jesus said, this whole judging others while you got your own issues is wrong. At the end of verse 42, he said, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then, then is after, only after, you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand because I will embarrass you. And, and you won't appreciate it. So don't raise your hand. But think, think about it. Do, do, do you honestly believe that you have no speck 
in your own eye? Do you honestly believe that you're all that in a bag of chips? Do you honestly believe that you have no sin at all that anybody could point to? Do you honestly believe when God looks at you, he's thinking, man, I just can't find nothing wrong with him. If you feel that way, you're delusional. You need medication. Skip the psychologist. Go straight to the psychiatrist. Get juiced up on whatever they got. Because if you're that far gone, you, 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 you need some serious psychobabble help. He said, before you judge anybody else, the first thing you got to do is get rid of the log in your own. If you're walking around judging people, you're, you're either saying this, I'm a violator of God's word, or... I have no specs, no logs, no drama in my own life at all. And we that are normal and sane, we know that's just not true. Work on you. See, some people believe rules and regulations are bad. And so the church went into this whole grace movement where anything goes and everybody's shacking up and, and, and gay worship leaders and all, all, all kinds of weird stuff going on in the church that never went on in the church before because they, they got a dose of, of God's grace and, he, and said, yeah, but he loves me anyhow. Oh, he loves, he loves all his children, but he don't bless everybody. He does not bless everybody. And we got to do what God told us to do to be blessed by him. And, and here's the reality. If you leave other people alone, you will begin to hear the Spirit's voice telling you what you can adjust in your own life. See, people started thinking in the 80s and 90s that too much rules in the church, too much thou shalt and thou shalt not in the church, and they came up with this phrase, well, Christianity is not about rules and regulations. It's about relationship, and that's true. But what they failed to tell anyone is that every relationship is governed by rules and regulations. Every relationship. Uh, I, I tell you all what. Um, uh, wave your hand at everybody, John Harris. If, if John, who he's coming up on his conclusion of being a newlywed, they've been married a couple years now. If, if John decided, my marriage ain't based on rules and re regulations. My, my wife loved me no matter what. And if he just decided to go down to Tampa, which is the strip club capital of the East Coast, and spend all of his money uh, at, at the strip club, be gone, don't call his wife, don't let her know where he is. Come back seven days later. They, they don't have a pot or a window left because he didn't mortgage the mortgage and spent every dime. How many of y'all believe this just ain't all going to be love, goodness, good times, forgiveness, hugs, and kisses? I don't know that he'd get in the house before she shot, stabbed, or, 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 or ran him over. Christianity is definitely about a relationship, but there are rules that govern relationships. And, and there's proof to love. And God said that there are some things that we have to do. And we've got to first get our ducks in a row before we can go lining up other people's ducks. And that's why the Bible says don't be many teachers. Don't, don't, don't desire to, to be the pastor. Because here's the reality. The Bible plainly says that if you correct a, a wicked person, they will hate you. And you ought to, and so I tell everybody, hey, the Bible says if anyone be ignorant, let them be ignorant. You just, some, some people, you just got to let them do their thing. But I'm put in a position as a pastor where God tells me that part of my job 
is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I, I, I've, I've got to call out stupidity. Um, so I'm just guaranteed massive hate. I'm just guaranteed ma- 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 massive backlash. But a person who's not operating, when I'm not in, operating in a capacity as a pastor, if I'm at a restaurant, if I'm at Applebee's, and I see somebody blind drunk and a, and a bartender serves them another drink, I'm thinking in my mind, yeah, they should cut that person off, right? That's the bartender's job. But do you think I'm going to get up over there and go give some long-winded, drawn-out mini-sermon to the bartender and the drunk and explain to them the dangers of over-serving and how their corporate office wouldn't want to hear that they're serving people who are already wildly drunk? No, I'm just minding my business. And if you were to mind your business, if you stop trying to wait on other people to get their ducks in a row, then you could have enough energy and clarity to begin to allow God to work on the areas that you need work on. Does anybody in the room know they need work? We all need work. But the trick of the devil is to get you focused on something wrong with somebody else so you don't do what Jesus told us to do in this chapter because the bottom line reality is we've all got logs in our own eyes and when we concentrate on other people's stuff, it just prevents us from getting better. And I want you to have have time to focus on you and God. And you can't do that when you're thinking about other people. You've got to drive all that noise out of your head. And you've got to say what David said. Search me, O Lord, and try me. Show me if there's any wicked way in me. Reveal me to me so I can do better. Because the heart of the champion wants to do better. The heart of the coward just wants to complain. Last verse, verse 38. Probably the most familiar verse in this whole passage. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So the first word, give, comma. Give. So Jesus is telling us how we should live. Looking at the first word in this verse that Jesus is speaking, he, he gives us one word at the beginning of this verse that tells us what we should do. What is it? Give. Do you know people hate giving? The majority of people hate giving. Uh, and it doesn't have to be taught. It's just born in. See, racism has to be taught. Little white kids and black kids play with each other all the time until they, until they get older. I saw a documentary. I've been telling people about church, and I've seen it happen in the life of people even in this church uh, where we claim to love each other. Um, they did a documentary. It was one of the longest-standing documentaries in, in American history. And they followed a group of kids from kindergarten through graduation in 12th grade. It was, uh, I think it was 60 Minutes that did it. And, oh, little LaQuisha and Becky Sue, they were wearing matching dresses to first grade. They were skipping, holding hands in class. They were just loving each other. Uh, Jamal and Chad... They were just, they, they, they always wanted to be picked on the same team because Jamal and Chad were buddies. And they just had to have it. It showed in middle school. Guess what started happening in middle school? They started separating from each other. Who told them? Who, who told Becky that LaShondria shouldn't be her friend anymore? Somebody. One of those other kids or a parent, or a teacher. And by high school, they had nothing to do 
with people outside their own race. And they, they actually roll, rolled up on Jamal because Jamal and Chad were super tight. They, were, they played sports all the way growing up. They were on teams together all the way from peewee to high school. And they asked Jamal in the lunchroom, what happened to you and Chad? And they showed some clips from when they were kids and then when they were hugging and celebrating each other and spending the night in each other's house. And Jamal said it just the way he felt it. He said, I was stupid, and I learned to stick to my own. He learned wrong behavior. See, racism is taught, but, but being a miser, being selfish, hating giving, that, that's not taught. That's born into people. If you doubt that, go to a nursery. You see red, yellow, black, and white children playing with each other until somebody takes a toy away from somebody. And then there's only one word that matters, and it's not friend and love. It, it starts with M and ends with ein. It, it, it rhymes with gain, which isn't even a word, but it, it's my, boy, little kid will tell you in the heart, mine, that's mine, stop touching me, he took my, and it's just, it, people don't love giving. But just as other wrong behaviors can be taught, good behaviors can be taught by people who have a heart to learn. And if you have a heart to learn, to be the man, the woman, the young person that God wants you to be, you need to lock in on verse 38 and give. Now, uh, Jack Hayford, who, who is a fantastic writer and singer, uh, written lots of songs, written lots of books. He wrote a great book called The Key to Everything is Giving. And he uses this verse as one of his texts for the book. And he said, it's not just about money. He said, people, every time a preacher says give, people think it's about money. But there's other things you can give. And he said, whatever it is that you want, you need to, look, you need to just give it away. So do you want more joy? Follow along with me. We'll be done with this. We'll do a simple exercise, and then we'll go. If you want more joy in your life, guess what you have to do to get it? Give joy. If you want more peace in your life, guess what you have to provide for others? If, if, if you want more money, guess what you got to do? You got to give money. If you want friends, you got to give friendship. If you want kindness, you got to give kindness. If you want understanding, you got to give away understanding. Whatever you want, the key to getting it is giving it away. But we want to hold on to it. Mine. I worked for that. That's mine. Well, here's the reality. You can hold on to it, and maybe you, you'll be able to keep it, even though God said he'll put a hole in your pocket and it'll go away even though God said it will make wings and fly away. Even God said you can stack it up, he'll blow on it, and it'll disappear. You can try to hold on to it, or you can release it to God and let him bless it and multiply it. And this, is, this isn't just with money, but it is specifically talking about money uh, at this point. But it's not just, I've heard some people falsely say, well, pastor, just because somebody pays tithes and offerings, doesn't, uh, they'll be blessed, but it doesn't mean God will bless them with money. Sure it does. That's like saying, well, pastor, just because someone plants tomato seeds in the garden doesn't mean they won't grow zucchini. If you plant tomato seeds, guess what you're going to grow? If, if you plant zucchini, guess what you're going to grow? And if you plant money, guess what you're going to grow? money. I love this verse. I'm, I'm going to give you all my slurpee routine. I'm going to get out of here. 
because I can't read this verse without thinking about the Slurpee because just like I'm a Whopper professional, so I'm professional about eating. Lucky Charms, we got any professional Lucky Charms eaters in the room? My sister, I know for sure. If you let a marshmallow get on your spoon while there's still gross little wheat Cheerio tasting junk in that bowl, that, that, that's just the precursor. That's just to eat that to get it out of the way. You got to have a whole bowl of floating marshmallows. Spoon that up. Now you got something. I mean, I, I'm just professional about the way I consume food and beverage. And I am a Slurpee aficionado. I don't even know if they still, do they still sell Slurpee? I ain't seen a Slurpee machine forever. But I used to get a Slurpee every day. With all my landscape company, I used to, uh, I used to pass by this place on uh, the little Safeco food store. They had a Slurpee machine in there. It was on the corner of Jamie's and Wilson. And I used to go in there and get a Slurpee every day. And I'd watch these people get Slurpees, and I would thought, don't you have an extra minute to make that worth having? Because here's, here's what they do. They'd walk in, they'd grab a cup, take a lid, and walk off. I'm thinking, amateur. Amateur. Ain't how you get a Slurpee. That, that's how amateur get. You take a Slurpee, and you fill it up at the highest, no higher than halfway. You got to fill it up halfway, and then you got to shake it, shake it back and forth. And then you got to pound it down on the ground. Pound it on the counter. Bust all that air out of there. So what was this big is now this big. Then you do it all again. And again. And again. And again. And you shake it. And you tap it. And you shake it. And you tap it. It starts to get full. You put your hand across it. And you use two hands. And you bang it down like that. And you lick the cherry off your hand. And you bang it down some more. Only one kind of Slurpee. Miss me with banana. But then you put the lid on it. These people put a lid and walk away. There's a hole in that lid for a reason. Anybody know what that hole is there for? Jam that nozzle inside that hole and, and, and back the cup down as it fills up. Then you got a nice little flume coming out of the top of your, and then you tap that down. Why? Because that's the way God said he wants to give to us. How? Good measure. Not some air-filled. I'm going to tell you one thing. Ain't nothing more depressing than a big, giant bag of any, any kind of chips. Go get you that $6 bag of Ruffles that's about this big. Got that much chips in it. Just air. Every time I open it, I'm like, somebody's got to go to hell. <laughs> this is unjust. This is not fair. You sold me some some bag big enough to hang a suit in, got nine potato chips in it. That ain't good measure, pressed down, shaken together. That's filled up with air. God doesn't give us like, like Lay's potato chips, Ruffles potato chips that way. He gives it pressed down, pressed down, shaken together. You take a bag, you fill it up. Then you pound it down and you shake it and you put more stuff in it. See, this is the way God wants to bless you. Not, not just... I mean, he wants to shake your Slurpee cup, fill it up, press it down, shake it some more. He wants it to be running out the top where you're licking the lid as you put the straw on it, walking up to pay for it. If your life does not look like God is giving you good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, then you're missing something. 
Because that's how God wants your life to be. With everything. With joy. He doesn't want to just give you a little joy. He wants to give you joy overflowing. He doesn't just want to give you a little peace. He wants to give you peace overflowing. Whatever it is that you're looking for God to do for you, the key is giving. Because here's the reality. The law of reciprocity, which we call you reap what you sow, is a universal law that has no boundaries and no barriers. Some laws are conditional. This is a completely unconditional law. Do you know what happens to lost people who give away lots of money and are very generous and very philanthropic? Do you know what happens to them financially? They get a lot of money. Do you know what happens to lost people who give away kindness and hope and joy and inspiration everywhere they go? They get all that back. This isn't some conditional, if you're saved and you prayed for two hours today, this law will work. No, this is a non-conditional, unconditional law that works for everyone in any religion or in no religion. And if you don't start tapping into this, then you're missing out on it. Even spiritualists know whatever you release, well, here's what they say. Release it to the universe, and the universe will multiply it and bring it back to you. Well, they're just, they're, they're just trying to pimp off Bible. They're, 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 just, they're just trying to prop up their false religion with, with true words. But here are the true words. Whatever you want, start giving it away. Now, obviously... I don't care how humble you claim and how, well, Pastor, I just don't need a lot. You know, I just, I just like simple. I just like to keep it simple. Uh, well, if you like to keep it simple and you're a Christian, you'd love to have more money so you could give more money to the Lord's church. We're, we're, sit, we're sitting on a field that still doesn't have a food and clothing building on it because we got misers in the Lord's church. Very few people paying tithes and offerings. Very few people giving because they've convinced themselves wrongly I got to hold on to this. I need to keep this. If I told you for every $100 you give me, I'll turn around and give you $200. You make that trade all day long. You make that trade all day long until I change the parameters of it. But we claim we believe the word of God. And he said, if you give, it'll be given to you. Not just giving, but giving good measure. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. And look what it says. It, it, it's going to be put into your bosom. In, 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 right, right, just here. You ought to be having that type of explosive blessing all the time. The, the Bible says in the book of Malachi that if, if you pay your tithes and offerings, that God will open up heaven over you. And he will rain down a blessing on you so large that you can't even receive it. Until your bank starts telling you um, you got too much money in this bank. Because you know they only insured up to $250,000. And you got to put, put the rest of it in a different bank. Um, until they're telling you that, then you're not really walking in all the blessing that God said he'll give you. A blessing so big you can't even receive it. You just be looking for ways to give it and be like, every time I give money away, it comes back to me. Bill Gates is in that catch right now. Bill Gates made a decision when he was one of the two richest men in the world. He's still top five. Um, he decided he wasn't going to leave anything to his family. He was going to give it all away. And what a, what, what, a, what a great dad and brother he is, huh? 
But it's, it's, it's proven impossible for him to give it away because he has so many different charitable foundations. He has so many different groups that he's already given to. His money is multiple. I, I think last time I checked it, he makes about $100 million every day, seven days a week, just on interest of the money he's already got. He's trying to give away what he's got, but every day he wakes up, here's an extra $100 million. You can't give away that. Now you got this extra to give away. Who are you going to give it to? John's like, I can handle all that right over here. <laughs> See a <ya>, brother. <laughs> cash app, Venmo, Zelle, PayPal, personal check, cashier's check, money order, direct deposit. You need to understand, whatever you need, the key to getting it is giving. And I'm not talking about being selfish and trying to manipulate a system. I'm talking about being obedient and letting the God who said he wants to bless you, bless you. God wouldn't be a good God to bless uh, people financially that aren't faithful in their giving. And he wouldn't be a good God if he stopped blessing people that he said he had blessed for being faithful in their giving. I don't know what you need, but I do know this. Jack Hayford told the truth. The key to getting anything you want lies in giving it away. Freely you receive, freely ought you to give, the Bible says. Give away forgiveness. Give away mercy. Give away kindness. Give, give, give away friendship. Give away patience. Give away your spot in line. Hold the door from somebody. He, 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 I'll tell you an old country boy trick, uh, and, and then I'll let you go because we're super late. He, here, here's what every man in the country does. If he's walking up to a restaurant door and he sees people coming behind him, he's going to hold that door and open it let them go in first. Now, they're standing at Sonny's, and they're going to get seated before him. But if they're more than about 20 steps away from the door and he thinks he can scoop fast and shut the door behind him real quick and it won't slam in their face, he's right up in there. That's not the kind of giving God wants us to do. God wants your giving to be extravagant. He wants the way you love people to be extravagant. He wants your friendship to be extravagant. He wants your peace and joy to be beyond understanding. But it only happens if you're willing to give away what you have. He told us to give, and it will be given to us. Pray with me. God, thank you for giving to us. Thank you for your love and your mercy. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us, Lord, to trust you at your word. Help us, God, whatever it is that we need to show faith in you. And to begin to be more giving with our time, with our love, with our forgiveness, with our friendship, with our peace, with our understanding, with mercy, and with money. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFNow.com. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.